This life-changing message comes to you from Church of the Harvest. It's our prayer that this message will inspire your life and bring hope to your future. Excited to see all the folks uh, baptized this morning. Guys, if you hadn't been water baptized, uh, seriously consider that or maybe... Um, Maybe you were baptized as a kid or whatever else, and, and you recognize that's something that, that you need to do again, then I encourage you to, to follow in suit and, and make that public declaration of your faith. Anyway, uh, welcome to Church of the Harvest. Yeah, so glad that you are here this morning. Um, as I always say, uh, you know, we are, the Lord has brought us together here as a church family, and we have recognized that we're stronger together than we are individually, Right. And so we've chosen to link arms and fulfill God's purposes in the earth together. As Church of the Harvest, we are a church of small groups, but we still love to gather together. All of our small groups gather together here on Sunday to worship the Lord corporately. How many of you love our time when we come together? I'm glad there's three of you. Cool. At Harvest, guys, we are just a small expression of the body of Christ. We're a small group in the body of Christ, right? Uh, but, you know, through that, we recognize that we serve a father, a good father, and so we love him and we want to be just like him. Because of that, we choose to love people and to serve the world as the hands and feet of Jesus. If you're part of the Harvest family, what is our vision? It is to make, grow, and equip followers of Jesus to fulfill their God-given purpose in life. And we do that through community, discipleship, and outreach. For a while now, we have been discussing our identity. We're talking about the responsibility of those of us who call ourselves Christ followers, those who have repented, turned from their old life, and bowed to the lordship of Jesus. And as we just mentioned a minute ago, one of our, one of our first top priorities here at Harvest is community, right? Uh, it's community, gathering together. Uh, the, the gathering together of believers. What, what happens when, when believers gather together? The Bible the Bible says there's power. It says Jesus is there. Iron sharpens iron. There's all kinds of promises when we gather together in the name of Jesus. So we're all about community. And how do you know that we were created to be loved by God? We were created for fellowship. We were created for relationship. And so this is obviously something that, that we need to talk about because it's a top priority in the word of God. So what do godly relationships look like? And what is our responsibility in godly relationships? So one of these relationships, I started a series several weeks ago. Uh, many of you are here, have been here for that I've called the blessing of parenthood. How many of you know the relationship between the parent and the child is very important? And it's something that really needs to be discussed today. Now, as I've said each week previously, if, even if you're not a parent, you don't check out right now. Because the reality is part of our responsibility in the body of Christ is to mentor and to train and to invest in the next generation. You may never be a parent biologically, but you are called to be a spiritual father. You are called to be a spiritual mother. And there are, is such a lack of spiritual fathers, spiritual mothers in the body of Christ today that it's, it's showing. It's, it, we're, we're, we're almost kind of handicapped because of the lack of, of, of spiritual fathers and mothers. We've got to step up so the body of Christ can be all can be and so that we can help to equip that next generation as God's called us to, to do. Amen? So, um, so anyway, so, so dig into this as we go through it, you know, ask the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, what are you, what are you speaking to me, you know, through this series? A quick recap real quick. Week one, I told you the priority of a parent is to train up their child in the way of the Lord, right? And to gradually transfer your child's dependence from the parent 
to God. That's, all, that's the main thing we want as parents, right, is we want to see our, child, our children fully dependent on God, living and serving for him 100%. I, I told you the two top responsibilities of a godly parent. Firstly is to love God. There's nothing you can do better for your child than to love the Lord your God with all your heart. Because they're going to follow your example. You love the Lord your God with all your heart, and you lead from that position. You, you guide them from that position, first and foremost. And they will follow that example. And the second thing I told you was to actually lead your family. People don't like to lead today because they don't want to be accountable and they don't want to be responsible. But God has given you a great responsibility and he is this is great task. He has equipped you to do it. He's given you the grace and everything you need to do it and to do it well according to his word, right? Um, week two, um, I told you, uh, actually we read the story of the little children coming to Jesus. You guys remember that? And I gave you three important components of parenting and really every relationship. I told you the importance of loving touch, appropriate loving touch that communicates unconditional love and affection. We talked about quality time. How do you know? You have time for what you make time for. And our kids, those following us, need lots and lots of time. And the last thing I mentioned was encouraging words. How many of you know our words are very important, the words we speak? Our kids and those that are, that, that are following us, we need to be speaking words of life into them, telling them how much we love them and how proud that we are of them. And then the last time, last week, I guess it was two weeks ago, week three, um, we just talked about discipline for a few. And I just gave you three points. To clearly express your expectation of cheerful obedience the first time. Uh, secondly, to discipline yourself, to never bring correction and anger, and thirdly, to bring correction promptly with instruction, expectation, and reconciliation. So, continuing on. Y'all ready? If you got your Bible, get your Bible out. If, if not, you can follow along on the screen. We also have uh, the YouVersion Bible app. If you got that on your phone, open it up. There's some menus across the bottom. Hit the one that says more and hit events, and you should see the notes for today automatically pop up in your phone. But we're going to go a little bit of a different direction today, and I, I, I told our community group I was kind of inspired through them a few weeks ago. And so as we start in that, how many of you, how many of you love a newborn baby? This week. Actually, Sean and I went and saw Alex and Danielle's, what, huh? Ava. Ava. Went and saw Ava. Sorry, I forget the name. Uh, we went and saw little baby Ava. How sweet. Newborn baby. But how many of you have been that parent or you've seen that parent who, I mean, just the baby is just born and they are just beaming, holding this child. And they're like, look at our little baby. She's so beautiful and perfect in every way. And I love her so much. I love you, don't you? Don't I? You know, and, and you know, just, just over the top, right? You know, as far as their kid goes. Guys, I, I look at this a little differently and, and please don't stone me. Your baby is a miracle and a gift from God. Um, in my head, I'm thinking, perfect in every way? She's pooping down your arm as you say that. You know, I, I don't know if I'd call that perfect in, in every way. Um, and beautiful? I don't know if I've ever seen a beautiful newborn baby. I, I'm going to be honest, guys. I'm a little different. Some of y'all heard my story about when Lauren was born. Lord have mercy. Sean and I were ready for this, our first baby, and she is having all these contractions, and we went walking and all this stuff. We went to the hospital in this time, and well, maybe not, and, you know, and they induce her. I guess I shouldn't do that. Uh, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> um, and so, um, 
Things are moving along nicely. We're in the hospital room. I'm sitting beside Sean. A doctor comes in, check, goes, oh, it's time. It's time to push. And we're like, yeah, time to push. And, and she starts pushing. And the doctor's like, oh, I see the head. And I was like, oh, Dana. And I look, and I was like, <laughs> now, some of y'all know I can be, I can be roasted out pretty easy. It doesn't, doesn't take a, a, a great deal uh, for me to be grossed out a bit. Other dads told me, oh, you're, it's going to be so precious, and you're just going to cry when your baby's born. I was like, I almost cried because I thought we, she had just birthed E.T. I was like, I, was like oh, I mean, if her finger had lit up, I'd have been out of there. I, no. Head, head all out of shape. Body weird colors. A lot of times they're covered in that weird cottage cheese rottenness, you know. And then they're like, you want to cut the umbilical cord? And they hold it up and give me this big pair of scissors. I was like, can I just get a machete? And just like, Psh. and they're, they're like, no, you're going to have to saw at it. I'm like, oh, that is just nasty. Like, squish, 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 squish. Like, it's like, it's like, can you clean her off a little bit and hand her to us? You know, they all hand her to Shauna right out the womb, all covered in. I'm like, I'm like, oh, yeah, what is up? <laughs> We gave birth to E.T. She was, she was hairless, stuff already coming out of behind the moment she came out. I mean, it was like something out of a sci-fi movie. I remember Alien? The aliens busting out. The, it was like, ah! Anyway, I'm exaggerating. I, I'm, I'm, I, I, I'm exaggerating. Well, a little bit. I'm exaggerating a little bit. In my opinion, newborn babies are rarely beautiful. Rare, rare, rarely, rarely beautiful. Give them, give them a few days. Get them cleaned up. Give them a few days, maybe a week or two. And then they're beautiful. It's, it's, you know, it's all good. But um, they're, how many of you know they're never perfect? Not only are our babies not perfect, we need to recognize and acknowledge the fact that they're born sinful little creatures. Right? <laughs> Just like us. How many of you know they were born with a sin nature? Right? Romans 3, verses 10 and 12, through 12 says, there's no one righteous. Say, no one. Not even one. There's no one who understands. There's no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. There is no one righteous, not even your precious little baby. Amen? Amen? There's not one of us who does good apart from Jesus. Not only are children not perfect, but they are sinful until they surrender their life. So in reality, I was thinking about this. We have all these dreams for our children, right? From the moment, I mean, even before they're born, we have all these dreams. But we hold them the first time, and we just see the future. And we see potential, and we see all these things. Very rarely do we hold our child and be like, Yes, sir, one day you're going to hold the world record for the most body piercings. Yeah. Yeah, you are. Yeah. One day you're going to grow up and you're going to get your first credit card and you're going to be drowning in debt. One day. One day. We never think about what our child will walk through. The addictions, the vices, the things that Many times we walk through in this life, but how many of you know those things are known to happen, right? Even to the best of families serving God. We don't generally think about these things. As a believer, most likely you held that baby and you thought, I wonder what God has in store for you. 
and you thought about their future and they thought about who they would marry. You had all these dreams. You didn't hold them and say, I hope I don't have to drive you to rehab one day. Hmm. (laughs) Somebody found it funny. It's good. Thank you, Steve. Appreciate you a lot. I hope hope you don't get pregnant out of wedlock one day. We don't think those things, do we? No, we think the best because we want the best and we believe for the best and we train them for the best, right? But how do you know things don't always go for the best? Because God gave them a will and they come to a place where they make their decisions, right? Many times we just want to believe that if we have really good intentions and we try to do things to the best of our ability, we try to do things right according to the word, that their life is going to turn out all perfect and they're going to live this fairy tale life. How do you know from experience that's not always what happens? All trouble free, making all the right decisions. But in reality, we see examples all around us every day, and we see examples in the word of God that this is not always the case. How many of you remember, how many of you remember the story of Samson? If anybody had it going on, it was Samson. If anybody had a chance, if anybody had a go at it, it was Samson. I got thinking about this. And I actually had read, listen to this. He was one of half dozen people in the Bible to be born to a barren mother by the divine touch of God. Samson was one of three divinely announced births. God had something special for him. He was one of only two people in all of scripture that is recorded that God called him before the day he was born. There was purpose. He came from a family that loved and trusted God. We know he was strong as an axe, an axe, an ox, right? Strong as a jawbone. He was obviously born with purpose, but how do you know that he would, as a young man, go on to break every Nazarite vow that he was committed to before God? And brother had, he had lust issues. He got in trouble with women over and over again, didn't he? Eventually, in his sinfulness, we know that he had his head shaved, which was forbidden for a Nazarite, right? And his eyes were gouged out, and he was paraded around town by the Philistines, disgracing God and his family, really. Anybody should have gotten it right, really, it seems like it should have been Samson. We see the purposes of God that were at work in his life. So for the next few minutes, I want to talk for just a few about the perspective of us as parents when things don't go the way we want for our children. How many of you have been there before? When our kids sometimes decide to begin to do their own thing and step outside of God's will and his word, as well as our wishes. In the Bible, this is what we call a prodigal. Everybody say prodigal. Many of you here have prodigal children. I saw that in our community group a few weeks ago. Some of you are concerned about the direction of your child or whoever it is that you're leading. You're concerned about the direction that they are headed. They may be doing things and saying things that grieve and hurt your heart. And I want to make a statement that I, I hope actually encourages you in this, and that statement is this. Our Heavenly Father can not only relate but he knows your pain. The Heavenly Father can not only relate, but he knows your pain. He knows it intimately. And I want to show you this. 
that, that no one understands better what it's like to hurt as a parent than Father God. Isaiah chapter 1, verses 2 and 3, it says, Listen, O heavens, pay attention, earth. This is what the Lord says. The children I have raised and cared for have rebelled against me. Even an ox knows its owner, and a donkey recognizes his master's care. But Israel does not know its master. My people don't even recognize my care for them. God is speaking of his children. He's speaking of the children of Israel. And he's saying, I raised you, and I brought you up right. Have you know, God is perfect, and he is the greatest parent. He raised them perfectly. But it says, what did they do? They still rebelled against him, didn't they? He goes on to say that even animals know who they belong to. He said, my children don't. You may be the parent of a prodigal, but know this. Father intimately knows the pain of having a child that's a prodigal. Think about this. Again, as I mentioned a second ago, how many of you know God is a perfect father in every way? And who were his first kids? It's Adam and Eve, right? Now listen. When our kids don't go the way that we think they should go, when we don't see them following the guidelines of the word of God, we tend to first blame ourselves. And then we start blaming everything else. Well, if only, if only, I'd had, if only they could have gone to this school. If only we had had more money growing up. If only I could have given them more. If only I had done this. Guys, God the Father, the perfect Father in every way, takes the two first human beings, his children, that he created in absolute perfection. And he places them in the absolute perfect environment, paradise, the Garden of Eden, right? And he says, subdue the earth and rule over it. He he doesn't give them a whole bunch of laws and rules. He says, be fruitful and multiply. Go have lots of babies, right? Take care of the garden. Go have lots of babies. That's what I'm asking of you. Okay. By the way, eat everything you want. Just, by the way, this one right here is mine. Just, if you would just leave this one alone, please. This one belongs to me. What did they do? They rebelled against the father, didn't they? They were set up. They were given everything. And they still rebelled against a perfect father. So what does Father God do? He disciplines. What did we say discipline was a few weeks ago? Correction motivated by love, right? He brings correction motivated by love. So he tells Adam, Adam, you're going to work your butt off. You're going to toil the earth to survive, provide for your family. Eve, you're going to submit to him. And, and, and when it comes time to have babies, you, you, you're, it's going to be a struggle. Obviously, there was a lot more than that. But he let them face the consequences of their sin. We talked about that a couple weeks ago, didn't we? Letting our children face the consequences of their sin. And so it was the same for Israel. God, how many of you know, God gave the children of Israel everything. Everything. Guys, he rained food from heaven and parted seas for them. My goodness. He blessed them and he rescued them and he blessed them and he saved them and he blessed them. And they still rebelled against him over and over again. Did they not? He tried everything possible, yet his own children continued to rebel. All that to say, God knows your pain, if that's what you're walking through. 
Amen? He gets it. But we got to follow his example from there forward. And we're going to talk about that in just a moment. You guys know our son Aaron. Um, this is actually Aaron's last Sunday that he'll be in church before he takes off for Africa for three months. And so I'm going to have him come up here in just a moment. Um, concerning Aaron, I, I talked about this a, a few weeks ago. Um, talked about how Lauren was a, little bit of a, had, was a little bit of a challenge early on when she was really little. But she got that straightened out and, and, and was pretty good. Madison was by far the easy kid. She, she goes with the flow. Madison just, she just goes with the flow. And so everybody told us, by the way, <clears throat> we were done at two. We, we were done, <clears throat> right? Aaron always says, I'm your mistake. No, you're not. No, you're not. You're our special surprise gift. You're our special surprise gift. And everybody said, when they found out that Sean was pregnant, we were having a boy, they'd say, oh, if you can handle two girls, a boy will be a breeze. Y'all are liars. <laughs> liars. Liars. Aaron was our challenge. He was our challenge. If there was any pride in Sean and I, God humbled us through Aaron. Now understand, those of you who know Aaron know that he's, he's always been a good kid with a good heart. But... Um, He's, he's actually brilliant. Um, he remembers everything. It's, it's really rather sickening. Because he was the one kid who never had to study or do his homework and still got A's. The rest of us were like, gag me. What's, it's ridiculous. Madison and Lauren working their tails off for every A and B. Aaron's like, whatever. Getting an A on everything. He was brilliant, but he knew it. He always thought pretty highly of himself. Yeah, I don't think that's a great thing. This brother would take a lower grade in math as a point to not have to show the teacher his work and how he worked out the problem. He'd do his math. He'd get them all right. He'd get everything right. No work. Nothing worked out. He'd just work it out. And say, he was doing, working out math problems at four years old. We were like, what in the world? In school, the teacher goes, I want to see your work. And he's coming home going, why should I have to show my work? Why shouldn't she just trust that I got them all right? Not, you know, and I'm going, just show your work. I don't want to show my work. I know this stuff. I'm smart enough. It's like, jeez. Whatever, man. He has a knack for arguing and finding loopholes and everything. We always said he should be an attorney. We prayed and just tried to do the right things. It was like, Lord Jesus, help us. I don't know. Honestly, about a year ago, I was getting pretty concerned because he was coming up in the place of being grown and graduated and everything else. And have you know, again, our kids have to make decisions for themselves. There comes a point where you go, Lord, I've done everything I know to do. And I give them to you, place them in your hands. And so I'm getting a little concerned and going, Lord, please intervene. That was my prayer for a while was, Lord, I'm just believing for your touch. Because um, I don't know which way he's going to go. And, and again, what's the first thing a parent does? The first thing a parent does is starts to go, what did we do wrong? I mean, what, you know, you know you're, you're looking at each other going, how come that one's not turning out quite right? You know, <laughs> Did we miss an ingredient in this cake, you know, along the way somewhere? You know, what's, what, what's, what's the deal? And, and, 
Sean and I, Sean and I talked a bit about this a few weeks ago. <laughs> you want to go back and listen. But I like to say my prayer for a good while was just the touch of God in his life. Come here for your bread. Come on. And so, um, <laughs> so, oh, he's bringing up water and everything. He's, he's planning on being here for a while. Uh, <laughs> And so um, we, we were going to, I was going to announce that he was leaving and, and we were going to pray for him. But I thought, well, what a great moment to, to come up, to allow him to come up. He's, he's been asking for a Sunday morning service for a little while. I was like, uh, let's, let's speak at youth and a few community groups first before you take a Sunday morning service. Uh, so I told him he had, uh, we, we, could, we could chat here with you guys for, for, for uh, just a few minutes. So I was going to let him share for just a few about... Um, what, seven months ago uh, is when you guys began to see the real change in his life and, and, and everything when God really began to, to, we began to see the real change, but it actually began before that. So, um, yeah, go, man. Howdy. <laughs> I've, been, I've been trying to convince him to let me do this for so long. I get a Sunday morning sermon, but I guess this will do the 10 minutes. <laughs> Once he gets back from missionary training, yeah, well, no. I think I should have got that mic, but I got the floater. Okay, so like you said, about seven months ago, all of you began to see like the, the change because that's when there was um, almost what you would see. It was like in the physical, you could see me having change like in real life. But it really started um, almost a year ago, um, back into last, what, June, July. Um, I had just finished my junior year of high school, um, played baseball, varsity, and that's where I found my identity was sports. I worked my tail off. That was like my idol. That's where I found my value was how I did in sports. And we sucked. Like my, my, team, my team was so bad. <laughs> and I had different conflicts with coaches and different stuff like that. And I found myself slowly starting to lose my love for the sport. And I Which had, was amazing. That's a miracle of God in and of itself. <laughs> He's always played for losing teams. That's not what did it. <laughs> yeah, we were... I've, mm. Never very good, the teams that I was on. Not that he wasn't good. He was awesome. The, be the best. No. <laughs> that, that, that's how I saw myself. And, and like, like he said, it was, um, I thought that I was brilliant. I thought that I was the best at everything that I was doing, and it was very toxic. I, I saw myself as, I wouldn't say it, and it, it wasn't even a conscious thought, but I definitely would see people as below me or me above other people. And that probably came off in different interactions and like conversations that I would have with people, and that was something that I was seriously convicted by. But, um, like I said, my love for the sport started slowly going away. And it actually started, I went on a trip with my friends Devin and Titus, and I had a weekend tournament. And I asked my mom if I could miss the last game of the tournament and just go, go out of town. And that's something that I would have never done, was miss a game. And I called my coach, and he was almost shocked. Just shocked he was shocked, shocked by it, just like my parents were. And that's when I slowly started questioning it. And I was talking to Devin and Titus while we were out of town, and I was telling them, like, I don't know if I want to do this anymore. And because of my love of baseball dying, I was searching for a new identity. I was trying to figure out where I found my value, what I was working towards, because I've always been somebody that does something out of my own strength. I'm somebody that likes to accomplish things. I like to see the, the um, what is it, the, of my works. The, the fruit. I like to see the fruit of my yeah. work, but I, feel, but I was someone that was very, like, I did it. That was me. Like, I, I'm the one that accomplished that. So what happened? So in that, I, I found myself um, humbled, but not anywhere where I needed to be. I knew that this was way bigger than me. Um, 
the whole world didn't revolve around me, and I came to this, I came to this, that's crazy, right? Like that, who would have thought? Um, How about waking up to reality? And so I, um, I started wearing, I started buying Jesus Loves You merch, and I was starting to try and um, be more vocal or, um, what would the word be to, um, be more of an example or exemplary. Right. And I, at school, I was still seen as the Jesus freak or the Jesus boy or everything like that. But when I would go home, I'd have no, I had no relationship with Christ. I didn't pray. I didn't read my Bible. I didn't rely on him for anything. And I was so content with where I was at that, like, what did I need God for? Mm-hmm. And so in that, I found myself um, trying to be better, trying to figure out exactly what this is all about, what I'm working for, what I'm striving for. Uh, where I can find my worth, and um, I found myself struggling because I was in all, I was in different types of sin and different things that I knew that I'd have to confess to if I wanted to take a step forward. Mm. And I found myself almost feeling like I couldn't be used, like I was stuck in a rut because I didn't want to be vulnerable. I didn't want to I didn't want to confess to things that I was doing. And so there was a, mo- a period from what June to October where mm-hmm. I was I was trying to do better, but I, I don't know if physically, like there were different, if I was bearing fruit, if that makes sense. Yeah. You weren't willing to fully surrender yet and give those things up, right? Yep. Be vulnerable. And so I actually have this cut into like three different points. And the first one was um, the acknowledgement of atonement. And that's just me acknowledging like atonement is God's grace, that his blood covers all. Um, and I, re- I came to a point where I realized there was nothing that I could do to make Jesus or God love me any more or any less. Like there was no action that I could do for, because I was somebody that was very, um, like, like I said, I wanted to work towards things. I wanted to um, like see, what was I saying? Like, um, you want to accomplish stuff. You wanted to. I was trying to accomplish things by works and I couldn't. That's what you thrived on. That's what I thrived on. That's yeah. what I found my value. And so yep. Yep. I came to a place where I was like, He's not going to love me any more, any less based on anything that I do. And like I said, that goes both ways. So if he's not going to love me any less, it doesn't matter what decisions that I had made, what sins that I had partaken. Um, I knew that he still loved me and that yep. I was still forgiven. And I have right here, um, Jesus didn't discriminate on the cross what sins that he died for. He, right. he, he died um, for me telling a little white lie or somebody killing somebody, all, all sins are the same, and he died for them all. There was no discrimination on the cross, and, and that was something that I became very aware of, and it was very cool. Like, the, like, I became aware of that, and it was like, that's so awesome. Like, that's the greatest love story ever. Because you didn't feel worthy to come to him, right? Yeah, I, I didn't feel that I was at a place where I even was deserving of love. And it's something I say all the time, like, Jesus is the personification of love. Like, he came, died on the cross, and bore the sins, and there's nothing that I could do to deserve it. And so when I acknowledged that and I settled on it, that came to my second point, which was death to self. Um, so I acknowledged, I, like I said, I acknowledged all of that. Um, and so I'm going to have to, like, not get emotional. Um, it's all about parenthood and whatnot. And I knew that I could go to my parents at any point and confess anything to them, and I wouldn't be seen as any less or a disappointment or, or anything. I knew that um, they would be there for me, um, and that's exactly what I did. I went to them and confessed, and, uh, confessed into a lot of things that I was doing, the ways that I was living for myself, and just a, a very selfish lifestyle and things that I was struggling with. 
And man, that was freeing. That was the greatest <laughs> feeling ever. I mean, it, <laughs> when you let it all go and you've got nothing to hide, all the doors are open. This is amazing. It's amazing. And you have and my parents are accountability partners and people that can keep me in check and call me out on different things. And love it. <laughs> and so in that um, came, sorry, I actually kind of just went out of order. Um, so in October, um, the two missionaries that came, Sahar and Electa, um, they actually stayed with us. And through conversation with them, I saw that they had a fire that I didn't. I saw that they were burning, and I was kind of complacent, lukewarm, just stagnant in my relationship, <clears throat> my relationship with God. And I was just kind of sitting there, and I was like, what do they have that I don't? And so after they left... Um, I had like a three or four day, like, almost, I don't want to say depressive, but I was very <laughs> struggling with like. He wasn't it, eating, wasn't sleeping. I lost, y'all, I lost what, like 16, 17 pounds over a weekend. Like it was, it was crazy. Um, and it was almost me, it was me like, f like fighting my flesh. Like if this is what I'm going to do, I have things that can like, like I said, I went out of order. I have things that I have to confess to and things that I have to get in check and so, like I said, that's what I did. I confessed to them. I got freedom. Got freedom. Got all, got all these different things in check. And that's when I felt a, like a fire inside of me, like erupt. Was, that's when you knew where you were going and what you were supposed so to do. So exciting. And, and I gave up so the death to self. Like, I gave up sports. I gave up college. I gave up uh, college with my friends. I got accepted with Evan and Titus. And the entire idea of my future, everything that I've been working towards, like going to college, the American dream, finding a wife, settling down, sports, football, baseball, kids, just everything like I'd ever seen, like I envisioned for my life. Scratch that. Gone, <laughs> like in a moment. Um, and that's when I was like, I want to go to AMT. I want to I wanna go to the missionary training. Mm -hmm. <sighs> and... It's two weeks away, and I'm so excited. <laughs> and the way that I would explain my life prior was it's Ecclesiastes 2, and it said it was just um, all of it was meaningless, a chasing after the wind. All my accomplishments were rooted in the physical, and none, none of that I'd be able to take into heaven with me. Um, and and the, the way that I paralleled it was saying Acts 20, 24, where, I sell, where it says, um, count it all nothing if not to finish... Count it all nothing if not to complete the finished work of the cross. Um, and that's what I want to live by. My, my entire life, I wanna, I'm willing to lay it down. Like when I realize the value of my life is not to live for myself, but to be a vessel, to be used, to reach, different, to reach people, to reach the unreached, or be able to make impacts in people's lives that haven't been touched before. It, it's just such an invigorating feeling. It, mm. Like I, my, I value my life to nothing. I, I, my life is dedicated to God. If I have to give up my life, like he talked months ago, if I don't come back, sorry, uh, it's something that I've accepted. That's a decision that I'm cool Tell with. Tell him about the other night as you were watching the Grizzlies game and, and Electa called from, from Zambia. So y'all know the Grizzlies are in the playoffs. <clears throat> uh, <laughs> you were all concerned about and, the score. And that was the craziest game ever. I mean, ups and downs, like the probability of us winning was, or the, the probability of us oh, losing was 99.6. <laughs> like we were down real bad. And I was watching this game and we came all the way back 26 points and won that thing. 
And I was so excited. I was like, woo, like go Grizzlies, right? You know, and, and, then? and then Electa called me and <laughs> she was on a bus, um, public transport in the middle of Zambia, surrounded by chickens and buckets, uh, people like peeing on the floor of this bus, mildew, mold, and it's like a 16-hour bus Somebody ride. Somebody was wearing a, wearing a mask. So, yeah, they had, they had masks on with gum stuffed into the mask just so they wouldn't have to smell like the aroma of, of the bus. And I was like, yeah, this game doesn't really matter. <laughs> the Grizzlies are very irrelevant in the, in the, in the big picture of things. Yeah. It, it was actually pretty convicting. <laughs> And so once I had laid it all down, all doors open, I, on fire, just super excited to go to AMT. There was 180 days that I had to wait. And, mm, yep. <laughs> and three days passed. It felt like an eternity. And I was like, all right. And I checked the little portal, and it dropped from 180 to 177. And I was like, <laughs> oh, crap. This 177 is, <laughs> days. Yep. This is going to take a little bit longer than I wanted it to. Um, in the beginning, all he's doing was complaining about how long there was. I can't believe I have to wait this long. And we, we're trying to rein him in. Going, Aaron, there's a purpose for you being here for six months. There's a purpose for this six months right here where you're at right now. <clears throat> and, and so I had to have a come to Jesus meeting with um, my parents and my grandparents. And it was because <laughs> I was just being super down about it. It's like, that's where I see my future. That's where I see my life. What am I doing here? Like, what? Like, I couldn't find motivation. It was, it was really just... <laughs> toxic but your future's in the next step you take son and it, it was a change of mindset like he said I needed I needed those six months to be able to prepare myself best I've been in ministry school I've been I've spoken at different groups like youth group and community groups and different stuff like that to be able to prepare myself and even even this right here um, and I just realized that the amount of growth that I had from then to now I, I believe is even visible in itself and I'm allowing myself to grow and be a vessel and be used as best as I can when I leave for this trip and just being in the best mindset as I, as I can be. And so my third point was, here I am, send me. And when you hear that verse, like, you might, like, me wanting to be a missionary, like, you would, might apply that to going to the nations. But I, I just, I had a um, devotion that I shared with my AMT group, all the people that I'm going on this trip with, and I just explained it as being present. So, being present connects with the here I am. So I was still in high school when I signed up. So whether that meant me sitting in a classroom and being, just being willing, having a heart posture of, Lord, if you tell me to go talk to that person, you want me to go to that lunch table, if you want me to do, like, if you put something inside of me, I'm going to do it. Like, here I am, send me. So if he's sending me across the classroom or if he's sending me across the world, like, I'm cool with it. Like, I'm, I'm rocking with God, you know? <laughs> And that became your heart posture. Here I am, send me, right? Yeah. And I don't know. It's just, it's just all very exciting. And I'm, I'm very grateful for all of you and all the support that I've had and the amount of times that I've sobbed over just the joy that I feel in all of this is, is crazy. But I don't know if I'm missing anything. <laughs> and because of you guys and many others, he was fully funded about three weeks. And... Um, God took that, 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 that care and concern and took care of it. I mean, you know, God provides for what he calls you to, right? And, uh, and gives you a grace to make it six months and, and uh, in the two weeks that you have left and, and uh, to do whatever it is he's called you to. So, Yeah, and I, yeah, yeah, it's, I've got two weeks. I've got 
a week full of exams, and then we leave for Dallas on this men's trip, and I'll be one week away. I'll be one week away, and it's very exciting. He leaves two weeks from today. He'll actually leave. Well, he won't be able to be in service because he'll. Be I, leave, I leave at like ten or eleven on that Sunday. Yep. Um, Sunday morning. So he'll be out of town at the, like say, at the men's trip next week. So. I don't know. So, would you? My awesome. point. My point. Yes. We what talked your, about this last what night. What's my point? So, it, like, if if he can do it for me, he can do it for you. But I think it's very like him talking about parenthood and the prodigal child and everything like that. Like, don't give up faith on your kids because I, I can now look back and realize where I was at. And it's the love that I feel from them. If your kid can come to you and confess anything to you and know that that love is still going to be there. If, it's, if you have a, if it's, it's like a God love. He, the redemption of our sins, regardless of any sin that you've ever committed, you're forgiven. And if, a, if, if a, as a parent, you're at that same place with your kids, that creates so much trust and, and so much relationship. relationship. Mm-hmm. And that's something I'm just so thankful for. That's good. Because even in my sin, I knew that I could go to them and I would never be, I'd never be any less. So just don't give up. Don't give up on your kids and just know that God's moving. Awesome. <clears throat> Real quickly, before I move on, um, I want my mom and dad to come up and Shauna, and I want us to just pray real quick. If y'all want to extend your hands to him, like I say, three months in the, in, in the bush in Zambia, and we're uh, believing for great things. He's, he's going to come back totally changed. He, he was around two of these folks for a weekend, two of these people who've given their life for the nations. He's about to be around about 100 of them for, for, for three months. And in, in, in the presence of the Lord. And, and so, uh, guys, I, I can only imagine what the Lord's going to do in his life and how he's going to come back. Amen? So, Amen. let's, uh, y'all would extend your hands toward him and let's pray. Protection and, and all of God's purposes. Yeah. Father, we thank you for your hand upon uh, Aaron's life. Thank you for what you've done. Uh, and, Lord, we thank you for the, the word that he, he just gave, that, Lord, that, there's, that you're no respecter of persons you've done for Aaron you'll do for another and God I thank you for every parent here that took that to heart and every grandparent and and run run the race run the race with joy and endurance for God's hand is upon you not only is God with you God is in you and as you run this race you shall see the miraculous, you will see the hand of the Lord. You will see the favor and the blessing of the Lord. But, but remember that those times where you're squeezed, where there's stress, where there's places of oppression and the enemy is lying, remember the tug and the touch that I gave upon your heart that you accepted the call and the purpose that you said you would lay down your life for me and that you would take upon you my life and my life would flow through you. Remember that in the hard times. That's what my son Paul did. He remembered and endured through some very tough times. But remember that I'm in you. And every little thing that you do, even those insignificant things, changing a tire, 
bringing a cup of water to someone, speaking words of encouragement, giving hope to the hopeless, speaking the truth in love. All these things were recorded in my book in heaven, and it is recorded for rewards. So know that nothing is nothing that you do in my name is ever discarded or ever removed, but it remains for eternity. For eternity it remains. So, Lord, we, we speak Psalms 91, divine protection upon his life, that your angels surround him, protect him. Nothing can by any means hurt him. He abides in you. And, Lord, we thank you that you're, you're his refuge and place of protection. And, Father, we thank you for him. Thank you. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, I thank you for all that you've done in and through Aaron. I thank you, Lord, for, for uh, all that's ahead. Uh, Lord, I thank you that in you, our future is always bright. And Lord, I thank you that you've prepared the way before. I thank you for all the favor that he has found. And uh, Lord, we know that is absolutely you. you. You complete the work begun in him. You are a God of completion. You're a God of benediction. <clears throat> so God, I thank you that you complete every good work that's begun in him and more in Jesus' name. God, I thank you for your protection. Thank you for every life that he's going to impact. I just thank you, Lord, for all that you're going to do in him and through him. Lord, Keep them safe. Bring them back home safely. Yes. Yes. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Yeah. <clears throat> hmm? Yeah. Y'all stick with me. I'm going to keep going, all right? <clears throat> um, I, I feel like we need, to finish this, uh, we need to finish this message. I think there's some of you that, are, um, that desperately need to, need to hear this. And, and let me say, talking about Aaron, obviously Aaron's on track and he's passionate and he's on fire for the Lord. And, and have you guys know that it's not always what happens. Sometimes our children struggle. Sometimes they get off track. He experienced a God moment last year that turned his life upside. I don't know where he'd be if it hadn't been for that moment, that, that God intervened in that moment, and he responded to, to it. How you know, there were a lot of other God moments that were brought into his life that he didn't respond to before that. But the right moment came, and he responded, and his whole life changed. As we do the best we can, but we've got to recognize that our children have free will and sometimes, sometimes they go astray. And so what do you do when your child runs from God's standards and, and, and from your standards? We call these prodigals, right? And, and, and those of you who have a prodigal child or you know a prodigal child, you, you understand the pain. Somebody who's turned their back on God and a lot of times they, they leave just disaster and hurt in, in, their, in their wake behind them and especially with their family. And, and we all know people like that. It may be your child, it may be a friend, it may, it may be your spouse is, is a prodigal and has um, turned away from the Lord, is not following the Lord. If you want to look in your Bible, Luke 15, I want to hit the parable of the prodigal son here for just a couple minutes. In verse 11, it says, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided the property between them. Not long after that, the younger father got together all he had. No, I'm sorry, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there he squandered his wealth in wild living. And guys, I was thinking, maybe you have a child. Maybe you have a child that has, that has spiritually set off from a distant country than where they 
were raised. And they, they came along, they came to this point where they're like, you know what, I'm grown. And, and you know, all this Jesus stuff that you're so gung-ho about, I, I just, I, I don't know. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make my own way. I'm going to do my own thing. I'm going to sow my wild oats. I, I'm, I'm not going to buy into this just because mom and dad did. And, and, and so they, they set off for this, like I say, spiritually, they set off for this, this foreign country uh, from, from where, they were, we, they, where they were raised from. They, they say, mom, dad, you've got these rules and you've got these morals that you live by, but who says that you're right? I want to discover, I want to do my own thing. Here's what I want to do, and, and, and I want to do it now. And so they set off on there. And this is kind of what the prodigal son does. And I read recently three, three notes, uh, three things about prodigals I want to give you real quick. The first one was prodigals usually become increasingly um, self-centered. They focus on, well, well, this is what I want to do, and this is how I want it. I don't, I don't care what you want. You, you can just forget it. This is where I'm going. I don't care what you think. I'm going to do my own thing. And their whole life is about them and what they want. The second thing we find in prodigals is they tend to think they have all the answers. And, and it's tough. It's really tough for a parent who has 20, 30, 40, 50 years of life experience to have their, their 15-year-old punk son come up and say, you don't know Jack. You're stupid. You don't know anything about this day and age. And the parent is just grieving inside because their child has, you know, kind of turned away. This person, this, this, this person with basically little to no life experience is saying, I, I, I don't need you. And they don't care to hear any of the wisdom that, that you have. And the third thing I read was that they usually seek instant gratification. And we see that in the prodigal son. He says, give me my share of the state, estate. Give it to me. Give it to me now. I'm going to do things my own way. It says he, he, he sowed, sowed his wild oats. I mean, he, he, in, in, in wild living. I want to party. and I, I want to do it now. I know what I want. Then I want it now. They're generally increasingly self-centered. They think they have all the answers. And they seek self-gratification. You may have heard about the, the son who, who turned 16 and he had this really long hair that his dad hated and his dad kept telling him to cut his hair and he wouldn't do it. And his dad, he, he turned 16, he comes to his, to his dad and says, dad, all my friends have a car, I want a car. And he says, son, we're not even going to talk about a car until you cut your hair. And, and he, he says, dad, even Jesus had long hair. And he said, and Jesus walked everywhere he went, right? <laughs> they know what they want. And they want it now. It's all about themselves. They become increasingly self-centered. They think they have all the answers. They seek instant gratification. Back to the prodigal son, verse 13. Not many days later, the younger son gathered together all he had and, journey, and took a journey to a far country. There he squandered his life in reckless living. And when he had spent everything he had, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and he hired himself out to the citizens of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. Guys, this is the downward spiral of the prodigal son. How many of you know when we leave the parameters of God's word, there's nowhere to go but down? There's nowhere to go but down. Sin, sin can be fun for a little bit. But after a day, after a month, after a year, however long it may be, the Bible promises your sin will find you out, and it will cost more than you're willing to pay, right? We know these things. Things get increasingly difficult for the prodigal son, but he's hard-headed until he finally hits rock bottom. He gets the end of his rope. He's hurting. But you know who I see hurting more in the story? It's his parents. Because they're sitting by and they're having to watch him. They're having to watch him and allow him to live this way. They're having to allow him to suffer the consequences for his actions. They're having to allow him to live in a way that when they know that their son knows better. They raised him better than that. 
But they're having to watch him and allow him to suffer the consequences of his actions. And so, like I said earlier, what do parents naturally do at this point? It's like, what did I do wrong? Where did we go wrong? How did we mess it up so badly? What should we have done differently? Dad says, oh, we should have spanked him more. Mom's like, no, we were too hard on him. Well, maybe we should have, maybe we should have taught him to be more responsible. Or maybe we should have helped him get a job. Maybe we should have disciplined him better. Maybe we should have been careful about not giving him everything. Maybe we should have put him in a private school. Maybe we should have homeschooled him. All these things begin to go through our heads as parents. If you have a child that's a prodigal, let me just tell you straight up, it's not all your fault. Amen? Amen? How many of you know, as parents, all of us, we could have always done better. There's things we could have done differently. There's things we could have done better. And sure, we have the major influence in their lives, especially as their kids. But just like we can't take the credit for when they do well, we can't take the credit for when they don't. We can't take the blame. Amen? They have to make decisions. God is ultimately the one they have to come to and embrace, and it's him who helps them to find their purpose, and he is ultimately the one that can help to bring them out of the trouble that they've brought themselves into. Don't let the enemy play mind games with you. You are still the parent, and you still have work to do regardless of how old they are. And I want to talk about those things for just a moment. So if you've got a prodigal, be it a son, a daughter, a friend, a loved one, a family member, what do you do? I'm going to give you three things. You can follow along. Like I say, it's in your notes. It'll be on the screen. Number one, if you have a prodigal, don't stop praying. Don't stop praying. Look what Paul writes to the church in Colossae. He says in Colossians chapter 1, verses 9 and 10, And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of him. He says we haven't stopped they hadn't stopped what? Praying. He says, we haven't stopped praying. Why? That they would live in submission to the Lord in a way that's pleasing to him. And it says, and bearing good fruit. How many of you want to see your kids bearing good fruit in their life? That's what Jesus wants from you. That's what he said, right? That's what we want of our children as well. You know what I hear many times, though, with parents who, whose kid starts going off the rails and, and going the wrong direction? A lot of times they just throw their hands in the air like, Pfft. I did everything I could. I talked to them. I sent them to counseling. We had an intervention. We tried this. We tried that. We grounded them. We took the car away. Now I guess the only thing we can do is pray. All we can do is hope and pray. All you can do, guys, the first line of defense, the first thing that the, the Lord has given you is the ability to go before them and to pray and to stand and to contend for your children. The Bible says if you raise them in the ways of the Lord, they will not depart from it. So we need to be on our knees. I'm not talking about praying some God is great, God is good prayer. I'm talking about on your knees pleading for your children. That God would send the right people across their path. That they would come to an understanding that the way they're living is not working apart from God. You know how insulting it is to God to make our prayer and hope for our children in him? Make it the last thing? God, I know you can. I don't see it's possible. If you can do something with them, you do it. No, contend. Stand. Say, God, I believe. Go after him. Do whatever it takes. I'm going to give you real quick a couple of things that I would pray if you have a prodigal. Firstly, 
Godly friends are so important. Pray that God surrounds them by people who will have a positive impact on their life and point them in the right direction. How many of you know at any age in life, human beings, the right friends have an incredible effect on our lives. They can make you or break you. We got to pray that our children are surrounded by the right people. Secondly, I would pray that they're caught when they're guilty. Remember what I talked about, about not always bailing them out and letting them suffer the consequences of their actions? Why do we do that? Because they need to recognize that what they're doing isn't working. They need to recognize that there's consequences for living outside of God's will. There's consequences for not living according to his word. And the last thing I would say to pray over your kids is, God, whatever it takes. And that's tough sometimes because sometimes that means absolute utter rock bottom. And none of us want to see our kids in that place. But how many of you have been at rock bottom before? Where there was now nowhere to go but up, right? And we need to pray that over our kids. Because, I mean, sometimes it may be their eternity at stake. We need to pray, God, whatever it takes in their life. Come, Lord. We must never stop praying. Number two, if you got a prodigal, this is huge, you got to be patient. Be patient, be patient. How many of you struggle with patience? I struggle with patience sometimes. When you run out of patience, get some more patience. You got to be patient with them. You got to be patient. Galatians 6, 9 says, and let us not grow weary doing what? Doing good. For in due season, we will reap a harvest. If we do what? If we don't give up. We don't ever throw in the towel, throw our hands in the air and say whatever. We don't give up. Luke 15, 20, back to the prodigal. It says, so he returned home to his father. And while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming. Filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. Guys, if he was a long way off when his father saw him, you know what that tells me? The father was watching. I believe he was watching and praying. I can just see the father on the edge of the property watching, on the edge of the town every day going, maybe today's the day, maybe today's the day, maybe today's the day. He never, ever, 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 ever gave up. And neither can we. Amen? We can't ever come to the place where we say, you are no longer my son. No child of mine can act that way. You're out of the will. We can't ever come to that place, guys. Doesn't mean we approve of what they're doing or how they're living. Amen? There should be nothing our kid could ever do that would cause us to write them off even if they write us off. The prodigal's parents loved him so much that they allowed him to hit rock bottom, which is so difficult because our natural reaction is to try to rescue them. And some of you are freaking out right now and saying, well, what in the world am I going to do? My kid is too far gone. No, nothing is too big for God. Never, ever give up. God took you as a lost, dead, filthy sinner. You came back to him and he made you brand new. You, you don't think he can do that? with your son or daughter he can do it with you but he can't do it with somebody else don't give up you pray and you pray and you pray and you be patient third thing we got to continually offer unconditional love always offer continually offer unconditional love luke 15 verse next next verse 20 so what the prodigal son do he returned home to his father and while he was still a long way off his father saw him coming filled with love and compassion he ran to his son embraced him and kissed him Did the prodigal son deserve this 
No, he didn't deserve it. You know what I realized? This is even before the prodigal said anything. This is before he repented. This is before he said why he was home. He just walked home back toward the father and the father ran to him before he ever repented. The dad went crazy. He says, go get Bessie the cow. We're having steak tonight. Get a robe. Get the best one and put it on him. My son was blind, but now he sees. He was lost, but now he's found. He's dead, but now he's alive. Father goes crazy. Prodigal's home. Unconditional love. We were talking last year. I think it was Madison last year. One of the best compliments that Sean and I think have ever received. She was talking to some friends. They were talking about certain things. It's like, oh, if I ever did that, my parents would kill me. And Madison was like, I know I could come home to my parents and I could tell them I was pregnant. And I know they wouldn't berate me or disown me. They would love me. And I thought, that's one of the best compliments I could have ever received. Aaron said something similar. (laughs) I'm not going to go into that right now. Guys, we must love our children in the midst of their filth and their sin. Because that's how God loved us. It was his unconditional love that drew us to him. And his unconditional love through you will draw your children back. Here's the thing. You guys know this in the story of the prodigal son. God is the father, right? And we are the prodigals. We are the ones who are the runaways. We are the one who demanded what we want. We are the ones in sin. We are the ones doing our own thing. We are the self-centered ones. We are the ones who think we know it all. We are the ones who demand instant gratification over the father's wisdom. We are the ones. But how many of you are so glad Then when we turn to him, the father comes running to us. He comes running in jubilation. Excited to see his home. I believe there's those of us that are away from God right now. There may be prodigals in the room right now. I want you to look at this verse as I close. I'll have the worship team come on up as I do this. In a second. Yeah, go ahead, guys. Come on. Isaiah 30, verse 18 from the Message Bible. Look at this, guys. But God's not finished. Everybody say, God's not finished. He's waiting around to be gracious to you. You know what the New Living Bible says? It says, he's waiting to show you his love and compassion. All you've got to do is turn toward him. Stop turning your back and running off doing your own thing. Turn back toward him. He's there wanting to be gracious to show you love and compassion. He loves you so much. Guys, God has not given up on you. Let's stand up on our feet. Hear me. If you're away from the Lord right now, God has not given up on you. You may be a prodigal. You may be like Aaron said. You may may have some sin issues and things in your heart that you feel like don't make you worthy to come before him. He hasn't given up on you. He's not looking at your sin. He wants you to turn around and face him. He wants you to come back to him. 
He wants to love you. He wants to show you compassion and to be gracious toward you. Why? Because he is faithful and true and he desperately loves you. He's a good father. How of you know he's a God of second chances? And for those of you who need it, he's a God of third chances and fourth chances and fifth and sixth and seventh and a hundredth and thousandth chances. His arms are open wide and he's waiting for you to come home. Let's bow our heads for just a moment. Guys, if there's any prodigals, every head bowed, every eye closed, come on. Anybody in this place that would say, I know I'm a prodigal, raise your hand and let me see. Just look up at me, raise your hand. Who else would say, I feel like I'm a prodigal? I feel like I'm living for myself. I'm not surrendered to the Lordship of Jesus. I'm not seeking his guidance and his will and his way for my life. Anybody else? All right, you can put your hands down. I don't think I need to say a whole lot more, guys. I think we've summed up the love of the Father perfectly here. Humble your heart right now and decide that today you're going to make a change. Confess your sin. The greatest sin we have is our, just our own pride and selfishness, thinking we know what's best. Just I want you to see yourself right now laying that before the Lord. You're saying, Lord, I surrender. And I am going to follow you. No more prodigal living. No more trying to do my own thing. No more thinking I know what's best. No more instant gratification. I'm going to follow you and your wisdom and your will and your way. I'm going to pray a prayer, and whether you've prayed this prayer before or not, you can pray it with me. Whether you are a believer or not, you can pray it with me. If, if, if you've already prayed this prayer before, just pray it as a prayer of rededication. Whether you're watching online or you're here in person, just pray, Heavenly Father, I thank you for sending Jesus to redeem me from my sin, from my selfishness, from my pride. I'm sorry for thinking I knew what was best. I'm sorry for being self-centered. Sorry for demanding instant gratification. I choose to follow you. I repent of my sin. I laid at your feet. Thank you. Your word says that you forgive me when I do that. But I ask you, forgive me of my sin. Wash me clean, make me new. And just say, Jesus, be on the throne of my heart. Be Lord of my life. I'm going to follow you every day. Holy Spirit, fill me and empower me to be everything you called me to be. I'm going to follow you to the end. Just say it, guys. Father, I come home. I've come home. Into your loving embrace. In Jesus' name. prodigals are coming home. Thank you for that. Guys, just bear with me. I know we're running way over our normal time, but the Lord's doing something here.
there are a lot of prodigals out there in the body of Christ. There are a lot of people who have been wounded by the church, wounded by religion, wounded by bad attitudes. And then there's our own children who don't always go the way that we envisioned. As I feel more than ever, it's time to call these folks home. And it's gonna happen through unconditional love, meeting them right where they're at. The Father's arms are open wide. I think sometimes it feels like our arms are like this. I think that's how they view us. We're standing there looking at them over our spectacles. Mm. The Father's arms are wide. And that is what's going to change the world as the church of Jesus Christ begins to open up its arms again. We stop trying to make it about our little gatherings and our four walls. And we carry this good news everywhere we go. We got to never stop praying. We got to be patient. And we got to continue to offer unconditional love. As Proverbs 22, 6 says that as we train up our children in the ways of the Lord, they will not. Everybody say, will not. Some of you need to declare that over your own kids. They will not depart from it. You need to declare that promise. It's a promise of God. I want us to close with this chorus. I want us to worship. And I just want you to ask right now, just say, Holy Spirit, what are you speaking to me? I'm going to have just a moment. I'm, actually, I'll go ahead and have our pastors and elders, our prayer partners to come down to the sides here. If you want prayer, firstly, if, if you gave your life to Christ, rededicated your life, I want you now or in just a moment to come down and talk to one of the prayer partners. And, 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 and if you're believing for a prodigal child, I want you to come down let somebody stand with you and talk with you and pray with you. Guys, there's power in prayer. Let's call these prodigals home. Don't give up. Keep praying. Keep standing. Keep contending. Be patient. Allow the Lord to do the work. You aren't called to be the one to, to be the one to bring them home. He's going to bring them home. But you can stand on it. You can stand on his word and on his promises. If you'd like to get more information about resources from Church of the Harvest, please check out our website at midsouthharvest.org. You may also contact us by phone at 662-890-1573 or toll free at 866-383-8277.